Hey, church, today I want to talk about the test of small things, but before I dive in, I have a quick question. Have you ever had a plan or a vision, but it felt like you were nowhere close to it? I know I have. So I want to talk about David in the Bible who found himself in the same situation. The story starts when God rejected King Saul because of his disobedience. In 1 Samuel 16, 3, this is when God is giving Samuel instructions to go anoint one of Jesse's son as king. He told Samuel, and invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. So Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, and Jesse has seven of his sons lined up, but they left David out in the field. And as the youngest, I felt some type of way about that because <laughs> I, I want to invite to every event, big or little. So each son ends up passing Samuel, and none of them were chosen. So Samuel asks Jesse, is there any other son that you have? And Jesse tells him about David, who was out in the field tending to the sheep. So they call out David, and then he is, he's anointed as king. But the story doesn't stop there. I want to point out three things, three ways how God broke the tradition. The first way, if you know anything about royalty, it stays in the family. So the next man up would have been Jonathan, who is King Saul's son. The second thing is, the house of Jesse was nowhere close to a royal family. They were a family of sheep, of shepherds, and farmers. And the last thing I want to point out is, the youngest being chosen as king is out of the ordinary because it goes from oldest to youngest. So why did God do this? If you read a couple chapters before in 1 Samuel 13, it says that God is raising up a man after his own heart. So when David was anointed as king, he didn't instantly assume the position. It took 15 years for him to assume that position, 15 years. There were many things that David went through to prepare him before he became king. Here are a few examples. The first one, he became musician for King Saul when the evil spirit came upon him. He then found favor with King Saul and became his armor bearer. And then he later then slayed David, slayed Goliath. And all of these events, David, in all of these events, God was molding David before he became king. What made David stand out in the eyes of God was that he was a man after his own heart, and he, could be, and he proved that he could be trusted with what he had. Luke 16.10, it says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. And this story reminded me when I was 15, 16 years old looking for my first car. I wanted a nice car. I wanted specifically a charger, something to go fast in. But that wasn't the case because I had a heavy foot and I drove. Uh, so my dad, he used to tell me I used to turn curves 100 miles per hour. So I ended up with an old gray car. It was a 2007 Chevy Cobalt. And when you first get in your car, you don't care what you drive. You just want to be on the road. So fast forward, my new car is a 2013 Chrysler. It's not the V8 I wanted, but it's something close to that. But one day, I know God will bless me with the car I want when I learn how to drive the speed limit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but why am I telling you this? Like, like my dad gave me something little to prepare me for something greater, our Heavenly Father will also do the same. People seen David as a shepherd of sheep, but God seen him as a shepherd of man. 
God was building character in David when he was out in the field. God knew that if he could trust David to tend to his sheep, he could trust him to lead his people. When we start new jobs, we aren't instantly promoted. We have to prove to our bosses that we are competent in the position that we are in. So that brings me to my main point. Master where you are now, then God will level you up. Many times we try to make the moves prematurely when we just aren't ready. Don't get me wrong, God wants to bless us. He wants us to level up, but we have to be ready to receive that blessing. So the question is, how do we get in position to receive? Looking back at the story of David, the Bible said he was a man after God's own heart. He never made a move without asking God first. So there are a few things I want to leave you with. The first thing, seek God first. That's the first thing we have to do. We have to put God in his position. The second thing, have the correct posture and heart. And the last thing is, give 100% where you are now. Then God, then we put ourselves in a position to receive God's blessing. Thank you, church. So good. Well, what's up, church? Today I'm going to be speaking about the test of time. There are numerous stories about people being tested by time in the Bible, but the one story that really stuck out to me was the story of Joseph. You see, Joseph was one of 12 sons, and he was highly favored by his father, Jacob. He was the most loved out of all his brothers, and his father, Jacob, even gave him this nice coat to wear around. Obviously, this made his other brothers jealous. They got so tired of it that they sold their own brother into slavery. Can you imagine your own siblings selling you into slavery? Joseph ends up in prison for a crime that he didn't even commit. During this time, he finds favor in the Lord's presence in prison. Joseph begins having these dreams, and he's even able to interpret the dreams of people that he's in prison with. He eventually interprets the dreams of the Pharaoh. Then the Pharaoh appointed, appointed Joseph to be over all the food, and he began having love and respect from all the people. Now, what a journey Joseph had to go through to get to his destination. You see, he didn't have a straight path for his life, and he didn't have a clear picture, but it didn't stop him from making the most of the season that he was in. Even though he was in prison... That didn't stop him from finding time to spend with the Lord. He didn't wait until he was out of prison to make the most of his life. Now, I know I have certainly had setbacks in my life, but I didn't let it deter me from my ultimate goal. So I'm in college at Houston Baptist University. Go Cougs. I mean, dogs up. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie, church. College has been a struggle. And this was my first semester at college. And I started in a time of COVID. And I'll never forget, it's the first day of class. And my professor gets on and she's like, that we have to record these videos and post on YouTube for everybody to see. Now, I don't know about y'all, but your girl is not the YouTube influencer type, so I was not ready, but I did it. I put my all into this class, doing three assignments every week, thinking I'm doing good. Long story short, I failed. Yes, church, I failed a public speaking class. <laughs> I had to retake this class next semester all over again to pass. Now, in my moment of failure, I was mad. I was upset. I was embarrassed. I didn't want to tell anybody. I didn't understand because I put my all into passing this class that I've never failed before. So I took it again next semester. I passed. <laughs> but now looking back at that moment, God was preparing me for something greater that I didn't even know of at that time. He was preparing me for such a time as this because, church, here I am today at the 6 on 6 as a young communicator on Next Gen Sunday. 
You see, my path didn't look straight at that moment. And at that time, I didn't want to have to retake that class. But maybe God's plan was that I take it twice to prepare me for a season like today. You see, sometimes what we see as a setback, God sees it as a setup for a comeback. So I want to tell you today, church, don't waste the potential of the season that you are in. Are we giving our all in the season we are in right now, no matter what it may be? Are we seizing the opportunities in front of us? Maybe you're learning from a recent failure. Maybe you're learning to thank that person. Or maybe you're loving the people around you deeper. Or maybe you're getting that education or degree. These could all be windows of time that are opportunities missed. In Ephesians 5.16, it says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. So don't waste the potential of the season you are in. So church, how do we do this? I'm going to give you two things. The first one, we need to trust God's timing and his plans. It reminds me of the verse, Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Second, we need to be willing to leave where we are now to move forward with him. Let me say that again. We need to be willing to leave where we are now to move forward with him. We got to take that next step, whatever it may be. Maybe your next step is starting our next steps class that happened next Sunday after service. Maybe serving on the dream team. Maybe it's getting baptized. Or maybe it's starting that small group that you've been thinking about. And if I could leave you with anything today, church, it'd be don't live in the someday of your potential. As a matter of fact, as a church, I think we need to declare that today. Say it with me. I won't live in the someday of my potential. Thank you, church. Well, good morning, church. Today I'm going to talk to you about the warfare test and battling through adversity. So the context of my message is going to be based out of the book of Job. So Job was a person in the Bible who was highly favored by God. I'm telling you, this man was rich, his pockets were deep, he had everything going for him, and he was too blessed to be stressed. Now, we heard that before, right? So Job was all in on God, and in Job 1.1 it says, Job feared God and turned away from evil. But Satan had only believed that Job was praising God because of the things that God had blessed him with. So God allows Satan to test Job, and in this testing, Job loses his livestock, he loses his servants, and he loses his ten children. But he still chose to praise God in his prayers. It even got to a point where Job was afflicted with horrible skin sores. And his own wife, in Job 2.9, his own wife encourages him to curse God, to give up, and to die. But Job still refused. He was still thanking God and praising God for everything that God had given him in the past, even though he was struggling to accept his circumstances. As we read the story, time goes on, and Job does. He starts losing hope. He starts losing patience, and he starts questioning, God, God, what are you doing? Why me? Later, God finally interrupts, demanding Job to be brave and to respond to his questions. And see, when, Job, when God asked these questions, they're rhetorical. They're intended to show how little Job knows about creation and how much power that God really has. And in Job 42.2, Job finally responds, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. So this response pleases God, and God returns Job's health way and bless him with way more than he had blessed him before. So in the story, we can see Job was going through it. My man lost everything he had worked for and loved. He was getting hit left and right, and he couldn't handle it on his own until he realized that God was the one who could do all things. 
Maybe for us, we, we didn't get tested to that extreme. Maybe for us, a big test was COVID. Now, who remembers COVID? We had to stay six feet apart. We had to wear masks. We had to, we had to stay inside. We had to quarantine. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I had never heard of the word quarantine until COVID hit. <laughs> for me, I'm a homebody. I love being inside, watching Netflix, watching my shows. But being told to stay inside with no other option didn't sit well with me. But the question I want to ask is, when times get hard or things don't go our way, how do we cope? Are we turning to addictions or temporary pleasures? Are we turning to God and his word? But when we go to God, I want to encourage you, we have to go to God with an open heart. We have to realize that God's will is different than our will, and he will sometimes respond differently to our prayers than we normally expect. See, sometimes God's not going to pull you out of it. Sometimes he's going to get you through it. And there's going to be seasons where, where God is there every step of the way, waiting for you just to ask him for help and to trust that he has it all under control. Oftentimes when we're struggling, we want God to save us and rescue us immediately. And oftentimes he will do that. But for the most part, God is trying to teach you something in that hard season. He's trying to reveal some things to you so you can get through that hard time. You can grow and mature for what God has in store for you. I know for me, some adversity I had dealt with was back pain. I know you're looking at me. Yes, I've been struggling with back pain. <laughs> for the past six years, I, I was struggling with back pain. And it wasn't until a couple months ago that the pain had developed into chronic back pain. I, had a const I constantly had a pinching sensation in my back. I couldn't sit on a couch. I couldn't sleep. And I love sleep, so you know that was messing with me. But the pain had got so bad, it had hindered me from my everyday activities. I couldn't do certain things at work. I couldn't sit still in a chair at school for five minutes, let alone sit in a service without getting distracted because of the pain. The pain that took away the things that I had enjoyed doing. And I often found myself using the back pain as an excuse to get out of doing certain things. I want to ask you today, what's holding you back? What's holding you back from serving on the Dream Team? Going to small group, coming to church, going to youth group. What's holding you back from your God-given purpose? In the midst of the pain, I had to ask myself, am I going to let this pain define me and hold me back from the life that God has called me to live? I learned that what we want to accomplish in life is not based on what we want, but how much we want and how willing we are to fight for it. When we face adversity, I want you to remember that pressure either breaks pipes or forms diamonds. Pressure either breaks pipes or forms diamonds. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So I want to leave you with this. In a world full of pressure and adversity, are you going to live life like a broken pipe or allow the pressure to form you into a diamond? Thank you. Well, good morning, church. If I can title my message anything, I would title it The Wilderness Test. Have you ever felt distant from God? Come on, you subconsciously know he's there, but yet he feels so far away. Come on, I know I have definitely felt that way. And there is a certain group in the Bible that I want to highlight this morning that also felt very distant from God. We are going to the story of the Israelites. Come on. If you don't know, the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt for 70 years. That's a long time. And finally, Moses was able to lead them out in victory. Now, you think the story would 
in there, but I'm here to tell you that it was barely just beginning. And so in Exodus 13, the Bible says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. God led the people around by the desert road. Now, what's interesting about this passage is that God knew a shorter route, but he intentionally did not lead them down it. Now, I don't know about you, but I love road trips. Come on. And I feel like there's two types of people in this world, okay? You got group one who wants to stop at every state sign and take a selfie, post it on social media. You know who you are. And then you got group two, right, who downloads the Waze app, and you're just like, I'm just trying to get to my destination. Like, I'm not trying to stop. That's me. (laughs) You see, God had the Israelites take the the longest route because he knew that they physically fled Egypt, but mentally they did not. They were still in that Egypt mindset of slavery. And I think about the time that I was diagnosed with lupus in 2017. If you don't know what lupus is, it's a non-curable autoimmune deficiency. Now, remember hearing those words come out of the doctor's mouth, and immediately my heart sank. I went to my car, started my car, and tears just began to flow out of my eyes. I got home, and no one was home, thank God. I hit my knees in my room and began to cry to God, asking him why. I was upset. I was angry. I was questioning God. Come on, have you been there? Come on. And I felt like that. And and being diagnosed with lupus was my wilderness. It was my wilderness. And maybe your wilderness looks like losing a loved one, losing a job. Maybe your home life right now is a complete wreck. Or maybe for students, maybe school hasn't been so easy. And I've noticed that in the wilderness seasons, we tend to distance ourselves from God when really we should be falling at the feet of Jesus. And I think too, we, we, we stop going to church, we ghost our small group leaders, we don't show up to Thursday morning prayer, come on, stepping on some toes this morning. But, but really we should be going all in with Jesus. And I've learned that when we run away from God, it's like running in circles. You see, the Israelites didn't get to their promised land because of their disobedience. And when we focus on Jesus in the middle of our wilderness, things begin to shift. You see, I could have stayed in my hopelessness of sickness and disease, but I chose to believe the word of God that says, by his stripes, I am healed. You see, I had to change my mindset in the middle of my wilderness. So your response to the wilderness will determine how long you stay in the wilderness. You know, I can only imagine how Jesus may have felt. Right before he started his ministry, he was going into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And I believe he felt distant from God. But what made Jesus' wilderness a little bit easier was that he had a foundation. He relied on his faith in God to pull him through. The Bible says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You see, the truth can set you free, but first you have to know what the truth is. Going back to the story of the, of the Israelites, what was an estimated 11-day journey turned into 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And what kept the Israelites from getting to their promised land was things that we tend to do often without even recognizing, grumbling, complaining, ungratefulness. You see, it wasn't until they moved past their emotion that God was able to promote them to their promise. Again, your response to the wilderness will determine how long you stay in the wilderness. 
So let the wilderness be the place where our endurance is strengthened and our faith is built. You see, I read a book called The Proving Ground by Kevin Gerald, and it says, just as the desert lacks the resources to provide life, a dry spirit lacks the ability to grow. So my question for you today is, what are you doing in the wilderness to prepare you for your purpose? Thank you. Today I'll be going over the Lordship test, and I would like to start with a verse in 2 Timothy 2.21. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Here the word master is the Greek word despotes, which is a ruler with absolute power and authority over others. We often like to think of God as our friend, our savior, our protector, and he is all of those things, but he is also our Lord and our master, and that means he calls the shots. Jesus himself faced the lordship test. Just after the last supper and the first communion, he was at a crossroad with the pain and the suffering of the cross just hours away. He had a choice to make just like all of us have a choice to make deny his flesh and submit to the Father's will, or submit to his flesh and deny the Father's will. In Luke 22, 42 to 44, you can sense the intense conflict in Jesus' prayer. As his sweat contained great droplets of blood, he asks his Father to remove the cup of suffering, but then he surrenders, not my will, but yours be done. You can see Jesus pray the same prayer again in Matthew 26, 39. He went on a little further and with his face bowed to the ground praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus was asking the Lord, is there any other way? And there was no other way. Because the Lord put that weight on Jesus' life, specifically not just for Jesus, but for each and every single one of us. Just like the Lord is placing weight on your life, it's not meant just for you. It's meant for people that you haven't even met yet. It's meant for your family and your friends sitting right next to you right now. It's meant for the future generations to come. And it makes me think of times in my life where I've been tested and where I felt weight. When I first moved to Texas from Illinois, I lived near League City. I was up late hours in the night. I was an alcoholic with a drug addiction. I visited Anchor Bend for the very first time, and I felt the Lord tug on my heart. I knew I had to change, and I knew that the Lord was calling me here. But then we moved to San Antonio, <laughs> like, like that makes any sense. But then God opened up a job for me that was nearly impossible and an apartment for my wife and I that's literally right down the street. <laughs> distance was a great weight on me, being physically far from the church and being distant from my, from my Lord. Even when I finally made it here, I didn't know my purpose. I didn't know my purpose until I started to serve. Now I get to be up here for six on six. I get to serve in next steps. I get to serve in production. I get to be in the house of the Lord with my family. And I'm here to tell you when there is no other way, the Lord will make one. Sometimes God's way of doing things just doesn't make sense to us. 
the Lord may call an audible and that's okay. We're not meant to live comfortably. We're meant to live moment ready. In Romans 8, 28, we know that God causes everything to work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Alexis had mentioned this earlier with road trips and with a show of hands, who likes road trips? Okay. I want you to imagine you're going on a road trip, wherever you want to go, okay? You're driving your car. You don't have your smartphone. You don't have a compass. You don't have your map. You're lost. Your friend not only has all of those things, but they know every single pothole. They know every single gas station. They know all the cleanest restrooms. Come on, ladies. Men, they know the best places for the grub. Wouldn't you want your friend to come along with you? This is the one condition. You have to give up the steering wheel. And that's our dilemma, is it's hard for us to let go of control. And we like to sing along, Jesus take the wheel. But can I challenge you, can we actually let him take it? And I'm gonna leave you with this. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord. Can we say that? With all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Thank you, church. Man, that's so good. Hey, well, today I want to talk about something that is inevitable, something that we will all experience in life, and that word is offense. Okay, it's, it's, I know, woo, wow, woo. But listen, you're either being offended by someone or sometimes you may offend someone. Am I right? Well, let me read this. Proverbs 17.9 says this, love prospers. Somebody say love. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven. Come on. But dwelling on it, listen to this, separates close friends. Wow. So what do we know? Typically, it's hard to forgive when we are offended. So you have two options today. You can either choose to forgive or you can choose to be offended. The title of this is The Test of Offense. Come on. So you may be sitting there thinking, like, am I offended? Like, how do I know if I'm offended? Well, do you make things all about you sometimes? Are you always the victim? Do you complain maybe just a little bit more often? Are there some insecurities that sometimes in conversations may come out, right? Typically all these things are signs of being offended. And if all those things build up over time, you can feel overwhelmed. And what I know is, is oftentimes when we feel overwhelmed, we most always overreact. So how do we defeat it? How do we defeat it? Well, one day I can tell you, I didn't really defeat it. I had a story. I have a story that I kind of overreacted in. So uh, one of the things I love doing, I love playing drums. And I was playing drums a few years ago for a, for a church and it was Easter weekend, you know, Super Bowl weekend for the Christians. Come on, somebody. And so <laughs> I was like, man, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to play drums. It's going to be like two days full of service. It's going to be amazing. And the worship director came up to me and was like, hey, bud, we're going to give somebody else an opportunity to drum on that Saturday, but you can still drum Easter Sunday. And much to probably y'all surprise, I said, no, that's not it. I got to drum both days. You know what I'm saying? I was being a little selfish. I was like, I have to drum both days. It's all about me. It's all about me. And I remember feeling offended in that moment. And what actually ended up happening is that night, I was like, I'm not even going to go to services. I don't don't even care. I'm just going to let that person do their thing. And I'm going to sit at home isolated by myself. And then later on Instagram, sure enough, they're posting stories. They're having so much fun. Lives are being changed. They're going to Torchy's Tacos, which, man, Torchy's Tacos is my spot. So listen, that's where I go to get tacos. But I realized in that moment, wow, 
I missed out. And I want to tell you guys, this offense will rob you of your blessings. Offense will also cause isolation if you allow it to. Somebody once told me this, and I loved it. said, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. So how do we defeat it? Well, the first thing you got to do is you got to define it. Define what it is. Like, oh, I am offended. I'm not just here being grumpy or bitter. I'm actually offended. Because listen, you cannot defeat what you do not define. So you have to define it. The second one is this. Listen, you have to confront it. Now, watch out now. I know, I know we're here at Richmond Rosenberg. I'm not talking about confronting like, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> what I'm talking about is just like, hey, confront the offense. Oh, this is what offended me. This is what they said to offend me. And the last one is the most important one. You have to resolve it. You have to resolve it. You can either choose to move on with an offense or you can choose to move on without an offense. And let me say it this way. Maybe the reason why you haven't moved on from an offense is because you're actually moving with in offense. Man, I love the story in Matthew when Peter and Jesus are having a conversation. It's in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. It says, then Peter came to him, which is Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And I love Jesus' response. He said, no, not seven times. Some of you may know this, but 70 times seven. He said it right over here, 70 times seven. For you mathematicians out there, you're probably thinking, what did 490. No, no, that's not the point. <laughs> the, the point isn't 490 times. The point is we have to be so willing to forgive somebody that we lose track of how often we've forgiven them. We have to be so forgiving to people, right? So ask yourself today, what do I need to do? Who do I need to maybe apologize to? Because I know this, I believe right now more than ever that God's calling for a church that's going to say, I forgive you rather than you offended me. I believe right now that God's calling for unity in the church because that's what it's all about. Listen, you can, either, you can either carry offense or you can carry forgiveness. But let me say it this way. Some of you are carrying offense when God's called you to carry forgiveness. You need to choose forgiveness today. Ephesians 4.32 says it like this. Instead, somebody say instead. Instead, be kind to each other. Hmm. Tender-hearted, it says. Forgiving one another. Just as God through Christ has what? Forgiving you. It wasn't until that moment that I realized, man, Christ died for me. Christ, forgive me. Why am I being offended for not playing drums on a Saturday? Why am I choosing myself when God chose me? It's not about me anymore. I'm here to tell somebody today, Christ has forgiven you. Christ has already forgiven you. It doesn't matter how broken, how beat up, how bruised you are. Christ has forgiven you. So maybe, maybe you're just one apology away from freedom. Maybe you're just one apology away from community. One apology away from joining a small group. I know this. And I want to challenge you guys with this. First, I would rather do life with people than do life on my own. Can I get an amen? amen? But the challenge is this. When offense comes, choose forgiveness. Why? Because Christ has forgiven you. Thank you. Yeah.